I know by habit we would be turning to Matthew this morning, but I'd like for you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. We will be returning back to Matthew, but I do want to do a single study, a single message this morning, and I want to deal with a very straightforward, very direct subject, simply entitled this this morning, The Simplicity That Is In Christ. The Simplicity That Is In Christ. If you would, look with me at verse 1. The Bible says, Would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly. And indeed, bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted? Because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer, if a man bring unto you bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Artus, the king kept the city 
of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in the basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. I'm not going to expound this entire text this morning, but I thought it was very important to read the chapter. But I do want to draw your attention back to verse 4. For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear with them. Paul had a great fear. His fear was that believers, people, would be beguiled, they would be deceived by subtle means. Paul was not just a bit concerned. Paul was alarmed. Paul was distressed on the account, the thought that people who knew Christ, could be drawn away, beguiled, deceived, away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Just as the serpent, he makes reference to this in verse 3. He said, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Paul says, I fear that you will be beguiled through subtlety. In this chapter, as I read it, Paul continues. Again, we're jumping into 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians rather, so we're not seeing the full context of everything he's saying here, but Paul continues to expose false teachers that were arising in churches. Those false teachers that were rising up in those churches were seeking to lessen Paul's influence and to discredit him as an apostle. That's the background of what's happening here. At the same time, they were preaching another gospel. Paul does not mince words. We read there in verses 13 and 14, he says that there are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. He says, don't marvel. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He calls these false apostles workers and ministers of Satan. By denouncing or rebuking these false apostles, he then feels it necessary, and again, I'm going to use that term, that he feels it necessary, and we'll explain a little bit more, to defend his apostleship. Why should people listen to him? And his own ministry among the Corinthians. He reminds them, and he does this in an unwilling, non-arrogant, non-prideful way, but he calls their attention to his dedication to the gospel. Now, Paul's not doing this as some kind of a showman. He's not portraying himself as to say, listen, uh, follow me on social media and you you will have the truth. But what he's doing is he is unwillingly boasting about his dedication to the truth. He unveils a catalog of sufferings that no one in this room can even begin to even fathom or imagine going through. I would dare say, when he makes mention... He said, I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, and deaths off of the Jews. Five times received by 40 stripes, save one. Most of us stop right there. Five times I received 40 stripes. But Paul goes on. He's not doing this so that we'll feel sorry for him. He's not doing this so that we will hold Paul up in high esteem. He's not doing it so that we'll look at Paul and we'll say, what a great man. Because that's not what Paul wants you to see. Paul wants you and I to see the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And the lengths in which Paul was willing to take a stand for that simplicity. 
most of us, if not all of us, will not suffer the levels that Paul suffered. But Paul, even in verse 30, again, we're not expounding all of this chapter today. He said, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. Why did he have those infirmities? Why did he receive those stonings and those stripes? For the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Paul was alarmed that the church at Corinth was being influenced, subtly deceived, and in some cases being drawn away to another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus. The day and age in which we live is no different than the day and age in which Paul was living. Subtle deception. Notice he doesn't just use deception. He says that through his subtlety, verse 3, so your mind should be, what's that word? Corrupted. Now your translation may use a different word, but that word corruption is a strong word. Defiled. Brought away. Turned away from what? From the simplicity that is in Christ. What is this simplicity? Paul answers this question in many of his other writings. It's not just in 2 Corinthians 11. But Paul, when he speaks of the simplicity that's in Christ, he answered this question in another part of his epistles in Colossians 3.11 where he said, Christ is all and in all. Notice, he is and he is in all. Nothing can be simpler than that. If Christ is all, and Christ is in all, then it would be folly and subtle deception to seek for anything but Jesus Christ. Anything but Jesus Christ and Him crucified is folly. These false teachers subtly were trying to discredit Paul's ministry. Not just his ministry, but his apostleship. There were accusations that were hurled at Paul about, you're not an apostle, you're not one of the original twelve. You can't be an apostle. And those subtle deceivers were gaining ground with the church at Corinth to move away and say, maybe Paul's really not an apostle. That's why Paul uses, and he uses the word in verses 12 and 13, about false apostles who transform themselves into apostles of Christ. They don't come into the church building and say, we're false apostles. They come in and say, we're apostles of Christ. I mentioned to us at 10 o'clock this morning, the seduction of the church is not happening on the outside. It's happening inside the church buildings. It's happening inside the walls. While we're guarding the gate, there's already false apostles at work inside of churches. I'm not saying this morning we have that. Can it happen? Will it happen? Yes. Have we had false doctrine that tried to get a foothold in here before? Yes, we have. You say, preacher, in the last couple of years? Yes, we have. Do not marvel that false apostles can transform themselves as ministers of light. Satan himself does that. It's interesting, he uses the same word in verse 13 and 14, transforming themselves, the apostles, the false apostles do, and Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. The word transformed is used 13 in verse 13, 14, and 15. And Paul says, I say again, verse 16, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. Paul says it would be folly to follow anything else but Christ. So if our minds this morning are being led to seek anything short of Christ, that's the same temptation that Satan used to deceive and beguile Eve. So if any thought comes into our mind, has God really said, is salvation really in Christ alone? If anything leads us from that simplicity, we need to be warned. 
This indeed is the device of Satan and his demons. It's what makes him very crafty. It's what makes him very deceptive. This is the, this is the philosophy and the wisdom that carnal, unconverted men use. Carnal, unconverted men do not use in your face direct deception. They use subtlety. Sometimes we're very good at picking up subtle hints in people's body language. Some people are really good at this. They're really good at, I, I, they can kind of know what they're sensing, what they're feeling, and kind of what they're getting ready to say. Oftentimes we're not right, but we think we're right. It's subtle. If there wasn't a false apostle of Christ seated here today, you would not know they're seated here. You wouldn't know it. Because they would look and act and sound much like we would understand and relate to. But they might subtly put something in to add something to Christ and the simplicity that's found in Christ Jesus. And it'll be a very subtle move. This is what unconverted men do. Imagining and planting in our heart that there's something else we have to do to be saved. That thought, thinking that Christ is not your sufficiency, is not a thought that God has put there. The thought that you can save yourselves by your own free will alone from Christ drawing you through the Spirit of God is not a thought that God the Holy Spirit put there. That is a corrupting thought of the world to even begin to think that you have enough righteousness in you to actually merit a drop of the blood that Christ shed. That's... That is not what God through the Spirit says to us. Or maybe we hear, yes, Christ is good, but we can improve Him. You cannot improve upon Christ's finished work and you cannot improve on any of His offices. If a man comes saying, I have an improving Christ. I have a, a Christ who is relevant for the age. I have a Christ who's better now than that archaic Jesus. Be warned. Be warned. Anything that we think can be done to qualify us as to why we are partakers and receivers of God's amazing grace or to improve on what Christ has already done, all those things flatter our own pride. It's pride that flatters us. So it becomes a very method in which these false teachers are using. The devil subtly came to Eve, told her that God doesn't want you to know this because you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. When Adam fell, the entire human race was plunged into sin. You were a sinner when Adam sinned. Not when you, quote unquote, committed your first sin. You were a sinner when Adam fell. David says you were conceived in sin, shapen in iniquity. The preciousness of these children when they're born, they're born sinners. Well, there's a doctrine to change that today. Churches say, no, they're not sinners. Deny the doctrine. You're denying what God's word says. It's just, it's, it seems like that's not fair, but that's the truth. Now, thankfully, there's a remedy. There's a savior. That's why we believe in proclaiming the gospel to every single person without any restraint. The same gospel. Repent and believe on Jesus Christ. Nobody that comes in these doors do I look at and say, it's not for you, it's not for you. It's an offer and a command to repent and believe. Paul was alarmed that subtly this was starting to happen. So what we see here is Paul, in the first, from verse 1 to verse, the first part of verse 4, 
Paul unwillingly commends himself to prevent the Corinthians from being corrupted by these false apostles from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul, what he calls folly in verse number one, is his effort to speak in his own defense and talk about his own commendation. Now, it is a foolish thing for a man to speak as Paul speaks unless he has a really good reason to say what he's getting ready to say. And the only reason he's commending himself is because it's going to bring all glory to Jesus Christ, not to himself. See, people speak often when the best thing you could have done is said nothing. Everything that you see and hear, you don't need to speak to. You're not the answer to everything. You don't have to commend yourself, but Paul is doing this for that very reason because of the corruption that's taking place in them. Paul knew he had a good reason to boast. He later says in Galatians that he would boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified. But Paul was alarmed. He was fearful that these believers were being corrupted by these false apostles of Christ who had crept in. I don't think Paul was warning them that they were coming. I think Paul said they're already here. It's much better to get the problem before it gets in than after it does. But Paul says that's what this is. He said, I'm going to use, I'm going to, my folly is to commend myself. Paul knew that he was the messenger to the Gentiles. We learned about that in the book of Acts. He knew what the results would be if these men were successful in discrediting his apostleship. So he begs them, please bear with me for a few moments while I do something very uncomfortable and I boast about myself. Now that's the opposite of pride. Paul was not doing this to try to impress us. But yet he begs them to bear with him. Notice what Paul says. He says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Now sinful jealousy is a jealousy, is a feeling that we get within, a, within ourselves when we demand exclusive loyalty from someone or something, or a competition for our affections. Paul's jealousy here was a godly jealousy. It was a jealousy that was a mixture of love and fear. He loves the Corinthians. And because of his love, he's fearful of what might happen to them. This is no selfish motive. He calls it a godly jealousy. Many of those at the church at Corinth, Paul was in fact instrumental in the preaching and the teaching that brought them to Christ to believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul had a great desire. He writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 25, that they would be joined in union with Christ as the bridegroom and they as the bride and that they would be presented faultless before the throne. Paul says, I, am, I have a godly jealousy over you that I want to be able to present you to Christ and only to Christ. And that's why he uses the very vivid wording as a chaste virgin who comes to her husband. He wanted them to have a single love for Christ. Not a divided love. Not a love for the world like we talked about this morning. But a single-minded love for Christ. I don't know a pastor or elder on this planet who truly wants God's will for people who does not want the same thing. I want you to have a single-minded devotedness to Christ Jesus and the simplicity that is found in Him. Paul was worried about their minds being distracted. Distracted away from not only the truth of the gospel, but His appointment and calling as an apostle. So Paul's begging with them and he's using this illustration of himself to illustrate how deeply he loved them. 
as he wrote to the church, to the Galatians in Galatians 6, verse 12, he said, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But listen what Paul told them, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Single-minded, single-devoted heart for Christ. Paul was alarmed that these false apostles were beginning to have an influence. Look at verse 3. We start to see Paul demonstrating this love. Again, look at the wording he uses here and how he expresses himself. Verse 3, he said, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He loved them deeply. He desired their eternal good. He feared that they would be corrupted. Satan and his demons, the seducers, they are skillful at what they do. Oftentimes in our spiritual pride, we simply say, well, I can stand up against the seduction. I can stand up against it. Again, be warned. It's subtle. The deceiver does not announce his presence. Believers are, in fact, complete in Christ. Satan's one goal, because he's defeated, obviously, he has one goal, and that's to corrupt the mind. That's why there's an intentional intent to corrupt the minds of your children. The world, Satan, wants every last one of them. Your child is not exempt. The world wants them wants to corrupt them. Once their minds turned away from the things of God, from the simplicity that's in Christ, and once them turned to the ways of the world. Sometimes we think about how much we should protect our kids, and we should, but you realize we have got to be just as on guard about the minds of adults being corrupted and turned away from the simplicity that's in Christ. You have not received... An unteachable status. No one in this room, including myself, is at a place where we no longer need to be taught. We all need to be taught. We all need to learn and continue to dwell on what Christ is, who Christ is, the simplicity that is found in the accomplished salvation that Christ did on the cross. The false apostle, Satan himself, doesn't care what means or what method turns you away or corrupts you. If he can get you by a disagreement on the law, he'll do that. If he can deceive you with a disagreement on morality, he'll do that. If he can deceive you and corrupt you through tradition, he'll do that. If he can corrupt you through ceremony, he'll do that. Whatever it is, he'll actually use good things to deceive you. He'll use good things to corrupt you. It's not the obvious things often that are the biggest danger. It's the subtlety. It's the subtle corruption that our kids are facing. It's the subtle corruption every one of us adults is facing all with an intent to corrupt and to turn our minds. Anything that rivals Christ as the preeminent one in his sufficiency of salvation is not the gospel. If that's what you're trusting in, you're trusting in something beyond Christ's sufficiency and Christ's accomplished work, you have reason to question, am I a child of God? 
the simplicity that's in Christ, the message of the cross, nothing can be added. In Christ, believers stand perfectly justified and righteous before the Father. It doesn't mean we have a license to sin, but there is nothing else that justifies you before the Father than Jesus Christ. Anyone who comes preaching something different is preaching another gospel, another Jesus, and another spirit. So Paul unwillingly does this. Look at verse 4. He acknowledges this. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, you receive another spirit, another gospel which you have accepted, you might well bear with them. Now, uh, there's a, a debate with some commentators who say that what Paul was saying is if someone actually came and actually preached something that was reasonable, you should bear with them. No, he's afraid that they would. He's actually afraid that you might bear with them because of that subtle deception and that subtle corruption that you might give them a hearing. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes we've decided that because we want to be uh, non-offensive, we'll hear something completely false, a complete lie, and we'll say, I understand your point of view. Not if their point of view is anti-Christian and anti-Christ. I can appreciate your opinion. Should we appreciate that opinion or actually say, no, that's false? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, that he preached one Lord, one Spirit, one Gospel. There's no such thing as two Spirits, two Gospels, two. There is only one. And Paul, that's what he's afraid they're being drawn away from. Another spirit, another Jesus, another gospel would be a mixture of works and grace, a mixture of law and faith. Paul was greatly concerned that the people would hear these men and be persuaded to turn. Now, whether you want to believe it or not, your flesh is more prone to listening to the wrong voice than you think it is. You think you're insulated and you think that could never happen to me. You are prone to listen to the wrong voice. You are prone to be led away. If your minds and your hearts are not set on that simplicity and settled, sure and steadfast, like an anchor of your soul to Christ. Jesus himself made mention in John 5.43 he, he shows us himself about the reality of the proneness of the heart. It says in John 5.43, he says, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. That wasn't just Jesus talking in that day and age. That had no application for us today. Our hearts are prone to wonder. Something sounds good, sounds Christian, sounds godly. Again, I won't speak much on that. We talked a lot about that in 10 o'clock this morning. But we see Paul is using this not as a means to pridefully pump himself up, but rather because of his fear and love. Second thing I want to look at is the second half of verse 4 down through verse 8. Paul unquestionably confirmed he was in all points equal to the chiefest apostles in preaching the simplicity that is in Christ. In other words, what Paul confirms is that the message he carried was the same message that those apostles carried and that he was equal to them in the authority to preach them. Paul did not back down. Paul did not say, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't. No, look what he says in verse 5. He said, for I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. We don't use that term, not a whit. Your translation might not even say that. It just simply means not in anything. I'm, I am not behind the chiefest apostles in anything. They don't have more truth than I have. They're not uh, purveyors of it that I don't have. So he said, you would, you would do well to bear with me. I am not in one single degree inferior to those who were apostles before me. 
Paul says in verse 6, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. I used to think for a lot of years that Paul actually couldn't speak. But then I began looking and studying and thinking he was trained as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He actually probably was a pretty talented orator. What Paul was actually saying is I put away my ability to speak as an orator and spoke in simple, plain words that you would be able to comprehend. The Pharisees could speak flowery words. The Pharisees could spark the emotion. Contemporary modern Christianity is being driven by those two things. And it's right in front of you. Flowery words and emotion. It's in your face. It's in your social media feed. People being led away from the simplicity that's in Christ by everything and anything. Satan doesn't care what he uses. He doesn't care one iota if it's something good, something bad. If it gets you to question the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus, I'm going to use it. And I'm going to use it to divide. I'm going to use it to divide your church. I'm going to use that to just subtly corrupt you, to put you on sides and saying, well, why don't you think this? Because the Bible says that's not the case. Simplicity. The Apostle Paul, of course, being the Pharisee of the Pharisees, verse 22, he's acknowledging that when he says, are they Hebrew? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the minister of Christ? I speak as a fool. He's saying that even these false apostles, these false Christ, I'm the same. But even as he goes on further, you see, he says, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things, or we have been revealed. Paul himself was an orator. He could speak. He was highly educated. He was skillful. But he didn't use his public ministry by using human wisdom, human philosophy, flowery words, to be an orator that you'll be impressed by the way he just spoke in plain style of the common people to administer to. That's all he did. You say that's all. That's the simplicity that's in Christ. Paul is saying, though I seem to be simple, though I seem to be not using the words of the style in which you're hearing the false apostles may be saying, I was well taught in the knowledge of Christ and His Word. Again, referring back to what Paul said to the Galatians. In Galatians 1, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I confirmed not with flesh and blood. The gospel is not man-centered. The gospel is not man's wisdom. The gospel is not man's philosophy. Too often, flowery words and emotions are stirred to cover a deficiency in the knowledge and the simplicity that's in Christ. It's not in the flowery words that converts the soul. It's not in emotions that converts the soul. So many people sitting in churches, the only thing they can point to as to what marked their salvation was how they felt. What was stirred in them. So if someone is stirred, they must really be converted, right? They must really be saved because you're converted your soul with your emotions so you must be converted conversion is not based upon emotions 
It's not based upon what you prayed. It's not based upon what we think. It's based upon what the gospel is, what it, the Bible says that the gospel is. It is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There are people today preaching the gospel that never mention the name Christ. They never mention sin. They never mention repentance. People standing up before people who are living in outward, vile sin, thinking that God is using that. And Christians, some are just buying it. They're just, it's just like a, it's like bait in the water. Oh, this has got to be what I'm seeing. You've got to study to show. Is what you're seeing and what you're hearing actually real? Or is it Satan transforming himself as an angel and a minister of light? Paul himself is saying, God has been pleased with the ministry he's called me to. He's declared it to me. I'm clearly revealing it to you. The evidence is by your own conversion and the growth in grace that has been happening in you. He sent me. His gospel is my gospel, is what Paul is saying. I'm not preaching another gospel. I'm preaching the gospel that was taught to me. But then look at verse 7 back in our text. But Paul says, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. Now, what Paul's talking about here is that there seems to have been some in the church who were starting to highly value these apostles. They were starting to give them credit. Imagine that. A church that was founded on the simplicity of Christ starts to give credit and value false apostles. Do you know how many churches used to be? They used to be gospel churches. They used to be doctrines of grace churches. They used to be churches that stood upon what the Bible teaches that they used to be. They didn't just disappear. Oftentimes, subtle corruption came in and people began to value the false rather than the true. It happens more than you want to know. And it's so subtle. Paul is using this as an example that had so highly valued these false apostles who were gospel compromisers, who flaunted themselves in pride, said that they had authority, made merchandise of the people, and yet they were treating Paul with contempt. And yet there were some who were starting to value the false apostles. Paul is simply saying, I freely and humbly preach the gospel to you. And he asked a very direct question. What did I do to offend you? Where did I, where did I offend you in these things? Again, other passages, Paul makes mention of, did I come to you? Is it because I came to you in fear and trembling and I didn't have pride? I didn't have arrogance. I didn't have a popular following. I came to you as a tent maker that I might not be a burden to you? He says, where's my offense? The reality is Paul had not really offended them. They had subtly been corrupted. Paul uses a little bit of sarcasm here when he says, I robbed other churches. We think about that and he's, what, he held them up? That's not what he means. He's using it as a bit of a sarcasm really to roll it back on them. Because even though they had an obligation and a responsibility, he didn't want to be a burden to them. And he thought if that would be something that would lessen their belief in me as an apostle and the authority, and this is the real gospel, I'm not going to take anything from you. That's what it means. Not what it might mean. He said, I robbed other churches. It's a bit of sarcasm because he's saying other churches supplied my need. But I did this so that you could not use this against me. And I ministered among you the gospel of God freely. Rather than them being offended, Paul is stating you rather should have been grateful. I took 
support from other churches and accepted their share to preach to you. Again, this is not a message about the support of preachers. I'm just telling you, that's what Paul is saying. They were judging everything by its outward appearance. It's not the first time in history, but we are living in a day and age when everything spiritual is being judged by its outward appearance. Not its substance, not its theology, not its doctrine. Whatever the latest fad is, that's what people are jumping on. If, it's, if that's what's going to get it, then we're going to move that direction. If we need to really ramp up and teach people that we can cast out demons, we're going to ramp that up and you're going to watch us cast out demons. Well, we need to do some healings, we're going to ramp that up and we're going to do some healings. Whatever can just get you to move. Subtle. Why would we judge things by the outward appearance? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, in verse 7, he says, Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 18, he says, For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. How blessed is it, folks, to know the truth. To know that through the effectual working of the Holy Spirit of God, if you know Christ today, the Holy Spirit of God stripped you of everything and said, you are nothing apart from me. Conversion always begins by a stripping of any of your own merit and any of your own righteousness. What a blessed thought that is to be brought to nothing. All oh, the world says that's a depressing gospel. That's a depressing, that's the truth. And that's what gives all glory to Jesus Christ. You're stripped of everything. You're brought to absolute nothing. It leaves us bare and exposed that we have nothing to give to God. The Holy Spirit, when He converts you, shows you that you not only have nothing, but you are entirely bankrupt. You're worse than bankrupt. You're dead. Not barely breathing. Not enough to lift yourself up from the bootstraps. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are not raising yourself. You are not choosing Christ he is choosing you that all glory goes to God so that you can never boast in any aspect of your salvation and said, God did this and I did my part. You are stripped bare. You are like a dead man and dead man's bones in a casket in a cemetery somewhere. You are dead. And yet Christ, through the glorious gospel, commands and all that the Father has given to the Son will come to Him. And He will in no wise cast out anyone that comes to Him. Dead, bankrupt, empty, poor. When the sinner becomes sensible of their own nothingness, then He makes them sensible of the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Listen to the testimonies of a person who's been converted by Christ and almost to a person, that's what you hear. I was nothing. And Christ saved me. He saw, He showed me my nothingness. He showed me that I'm nothing without, but then He showed me there's a remedy. There is Jesus Christ. Christ is not just our half sufficiency, our three-quarter sufficiency. He is our total sufficiency. The sinner brings nothing to Christ. After we're brought to Christ, we are to live our lives wholly upon Christ. 
We draw everything from Christ. That's why Paul said Christ is all and in all. There's no need to draw from anything else. That simplicity that's in Christ, he teaches the poor sinner how to rest fully upon the fullness that's in Christ. Paul's instruction here, although it may seem to the unregenerate man as boastful, pride-filled, is actually a very sweet instruction that Paul is showing us. And the fear that he had that they would be drawn away. Folks, I stand before you today and I say the same thing to you. Whether you're a guest here this morning or you're a regular attender, there's a fear of the subtlety of being corrupted. I fear that for you. I fear that for me. That we would never, ever, ever be drawn away. And that you would never be moved to even think about leaving from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus and His atoning work. No gospel preacher is ever going to stand up and say, listen, if you come to Christ, your life is going to be easy. No, if he's honest with you, he's probably going to tell you it's going to be harder. But you have sufficiency in Christ. And there is nothing that is going to bring you more comfort and more peace than when you come to draw your last breath. You are not going to care what this world had, what the riches were, what the lust of the eyes could have seen. You were going to say, I have Jesus, and that's enough. Or he might say, he has me. That's what people who are true believers, when they draw their last breath, they realize it was Christ. It was always him. It was never nothing I did, anything that I did. It was never anything that I accomplished. It was all the simplicity of Christ. Paul said, never move away. And I think that's our admonition today as well. Do not move away from the simplicity that's in Christ.